Well, I have in my hand here something very small, difficult for most of you to see, but for those of you who can see, maybe on the closer rows, does anybody see what this is? It's a coin. You know what, what kind of a coin it is? Too small to even tell? T- take a guess. It's a, it's a nickel. It's a nickel. Five cents. I know some of you younger people are like, coins? You mean like they used to use in the ancient times? Yes. We don't really have things. I had to dig around looking for change, like as a coin. It's a piece of money, right? We don't use this stuff anymore. Everything's gone plastic and digital and virtual. But in the old days, they used to use coins. And in fact, five cents, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore, um, five cents back in the 1950s would do quite a bit for you. I, I looked it up. In, in the 1950s, you could buy a gallon of gas for just five of these little nickels. 25 cents was what a, a, a gallon of gas cost in those days. All right, 25 cents. A movie ticket, go see the latest whatever, 50 cents, 10 nickels. A McDonald's hamburger, if you wanted to go get a hamburger at McDonald's, 15 cents, 15 cents. So a nickel in those days actually would do quite a bit. And the reason I brought a nickel today was that a nickel um, in the 1950s, when my dad was a little boy, every week he would get for his allowance, not a nickel, he'd get 50 cents. 50 cents a week is what he would get. Now, when I actually did the math and figured it out, I realized, ah, he was doing okay overall, you know? Two bucks a month or whatever, but still, at, at 50 cents a week, what my dad would do every week is he'd get his 50 cents and on Sunday mornings, he'd take a nickel and he'd put it in his little pocket and he'd go to church. And at church during Sunday school, they would pass around the little offering, the kids worship time. And my dad would reach into his pocket, pull out his nickel and he would give his nickel to church, to offering, all right? And he was doing that as an act of worship. It was part of the worship service. And he would give his nickel every single Sunday. Now, obviously the prices of things have changed, but the concept of giving as an act of worship has not changed. And today what we're gonna talk about is we're gonna talk about worship through giving. And when I say giving today, The type of giving that we're gonna focus on is financial. Today, we're going to talk about money. Now, if you're new to our church, that might not really be a surprise to you because some churches talk about money a lot. If, as many of you, most of you are, if you've been around this church a long time, this will be a surprise to you because you will know that in the entire life of our five year plus life of a church, I've never given a message specifically on giving ever. This is it, the first, okay? The very, the very first one. Now, I don't really say that to brag. Uh, in fact, I, I feel a, a little bit of shame about that. Uh, and the reason is, is because money is an important part of our life. It is. And it can become one of the most powerful idols in someone's life. 
And so it really shouldn't be ignored. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, here's what Paul writes to Timothy as he's pastoring this church. He says this, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's not the sort of thing you want to ignore, right? He says there in verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So because it is, and notice there, it's the love of money. It's not money itself. This stuff has no spiritual power, but the love of it can really set people up for some difficulties in their spiritual life. And so when we talk about spiritual practices and we look at our spiritual wholeness, Money is one of those things that matters in our spiritual life and we don't want to ignore it. But here's the thing about money. Money does not have to become an idol in your heart and in your life. It does not have to control you. In fact, as we're going to see today, money can become a great source of joy in our lives as we learn to handle it and use it in a way that glorifies God and blesses others around us. And we can worship God through giving. We can worship God through giving. Now, especially for those of you who have been around churches before, you may have heard this statement, and I want to see a show of hands. Have you ever heard the statement before that Jesus taught more about money than anything else? Anybody heard that? Several, right? I've heard it. I've heard it many times. Well, I'm here to tell you today, that's actually not true, okay? Pastors throw that one around, and I even tried to go back and see who was the first guy to say that falsehood. That it's, it's one of those urban legends that, that, that people keep repeating, right? They hear it and like, oh, that's interesting. I should say that. It, it's not actually true. It, it's not that Jesus didn't talk about money because he did. He talked a lot about money. If you're really going to count them out, what he talked most about was probably the kingdom of heaven. All right? That's what he talked most about, the kingdom the kingdom of heaven in the future and the kingdom of God breaking into earth. That's what Jesus talked the most about. But right up there, and in a lot of the things that Jesus taught about, it was money. He talked a lot about money. He described money a lot in a lot of different ways. And the Bible as a whole is full of teachings about money. In fact, there are so many references to to wealth and to being rich and charity and giving and money, it's actually a pretty difficult topic to address thoroughly. Uh, We could spend 45 minutes this morning just reading the Bible verses that discuss money, all right? Uh, But we can't really cover everything uh, comprehensively here today, but what we can do is study the spiritual practice of giving and how to do it. Right? That's what I told you last week. What I want to do is I want to look at this, this particular spiritual practice. I'm going to look at it, see what the Bible says about it. What is it? And then how can you do it? And so that's what we're going to try to reduce this down to. Just like worship through music, worship through financial giving is not new. All right? This isn't some, something that happened during the industrial revolution or with the rise of capitalism all of a sudden pastors started saying, okay, how can we like make some money about this? And how can we make this all work? It's not new, guys. God's people have always given as an act of worship. In the Old Testament times, it was commanded that the people would give financially. 
All right, here's some of the verses that describe that. In Leviticus, the Old Testament law, Leviticus 27, 30 to 32 says this. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Okay? So every, everything, it's a tenth of it is the Lord's. And not only that, they were to give the tithe, but also it was to be given in a timely manner. In Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine, this is God speaking. And he says, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. And he goes on and on about the tithe. Don't even delay in bringing it. So, so how did that play out in the life of the Israelites, the people that were following the law that had been given through Moses? Well, they were to gather the tithe and give it to the priests as soon as they received it. That's how they're supposed to do it. In turn, the priests would then tithe on the tithe even. It says in Numbers 18 to 25, 25 to 26, he says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, that's the priesthood. When you take from the people of Israel, the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Now you might already be thinking, well, what is this word tithe? What is that? Tithe literally means a tenth. That's, that's what the word is. It's a tenth, 10%, one tenth. For every 50 cents, one nickel, all right? For every $10, I'm not even gonna try to do this. You guys who know math, know math. And those of you who don't, even if I told you, you wouldn't know it anyway, right? It's a tenth, 10%. That's what the tithe is. So for the Israelites, the people under the law, the Old Testament law, one-tenth of all their income was commanded to be returned to God as an act of worship. And beyond that, then they had all these other offerings that were prescribed by the law. There was the wave offering and the heave offering and the, 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 the uh, drink offering and all these, and then the sin offerings. And then on top of that, there were free will offerings. All right, so the tithe was the minimum. And then there were these offerings above and beyond that. That's where the phrase, if you've been in churches a lot, the phrase tithes and offerings come from, okay? It's, it's an Old Testament uh, thing. Now, I know where this is going already because I've been in church before and I've heard messages on giving and on tithing. Immediately, for those of you who are, are kind of Bible, have Bible knowledge, you're like, okay, I hear you, I understand that. And, it, and God gave the Israelites commandments concerning the tithe, but we aren't under the law. We're New Testament Christians. We are free from that. That's why Jesus came. Isn't that true? Yes, that is true. Absolutely. We are no longer under that Old Testament law. But does it mean then that the law was just arbitrary and has no meaning for today? That's the question you have to ask. And the answer to that is no. God didn't make just these rules and all these things for people to follow just because he wanted rules for people to follow and to see if we would actually do it. That wasn't it. There was a principle behind it. And and the law had underlying principles in every part. So the law 
of tithing may not remain, but the principles of giving remain. Okay? Where do we look as New Testament Christians? Jesus. We look to Jesus. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we look to Jesus Christ. And we look at Jesus' example. Now, with Jesus himself, Jesus was a Jew. You may not know that, but Jesus was a Jew. All right? And Jesus lived under the law. He obeyed the law. And being a Jew under the law, I believe that Jesus tithed. There isn't a particular scripture, there is a particular scripture that tells us he paid taxes, um, but there's not a particular scripture that describes Jesus going and giving tithe, but I believe that he tithed. The reason I do is because if he didn't tithe, the scribes and the Pharisees would have come after him as a lawbreaker, and they would have looked for, they were looking for any opportunity to try to bust Jesus. So if he wasn't one who followed the law in this way, they would have jumped at that chance. So, and not only that, we have a verse where he, he describes supporting the tithe. In Matthew 23, 23, here's what he says. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. These are like spices, guys. So they would literally bring in, you know, a, a handful of seeds and they would count them all out. Okay, for every 10 pieces, there's one seed. And they bring a little baggie to church. I don't know. I don't know how this worked. But they would do that like down to the tiniest little amount to make sure, oh, I've got my tithe. It's all taken care of, right? But he goes on, he says, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But look what he says. He says, these, referring to the tithe, you ought to have done. You should be tithing without neglecting these other things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. So why then, if, if that's the case, why would God require his people to tithe? Why would he require that? Why would he require worship from us? Is it for him or is it for us? All right, and this is the, if there's one big point that I want you to get here today, this is it. The one big thing that I want you to understand and think about when we're, we're talking about giving as an act of worship is this. Giving is a heart issue. Giving is a heart issue. Do we give because God needs our money? No. Do we give because the church needs our money? Well, Yes, but that's not why we give. <laughs> All right, no, we give because we need to give for our own hearts. And we give out of the love that we have for the one who gave everything for us. We give as an act of obedience and worship. Now, the Israelites, like I said, they were commanded to, to tithe, where we are called, I believe, to tithe. The Israelites were commanded to worship. We're called to worship. And there's a difference between being commanded and being called, right? Parents know this very well. In my household, if there's certain, a certain chore around the house or something like that, I could command my kids by saying, you will do this thing. <laughs> you live here, it's under my roof. If you wanna to continue to live here, you want me to continue to feed you, this is what you must do. You're commanded to do that. Now, I could, I could do that. Or 
as I try to do most of the time with my kids, I also will sometimes invite them to do these particular chores. Hey, will you come and help us with this? Or will you come and do that? And some of you parents are like, not in my house. (laughs) It's all commands all the time, (laughs) right? There's a difference. There's a difference in being commanded to do something and being called to do something. All right, and when we talk about money and our money, and I know that this is personal, guys. When somebody reaches their hand into your pocketbook, you're feeling it, right? It's personal. There's a difference if we're, if we're commanded to do something and if we're invited to do something, we're called to do it. But, but why is it that God did it this way? Uh, Evan had a great question last week. He's like, yeah, let's talk about why it is that we worship. Why do we even offer worship to God? Is it because God's just insecure and he needs people to be singing his praises so he feels better about himself in heaven? Oh, good. Okay. I was a little worried there that I didn't really have the whole world in my hands, but they're singing about it. So, okay, it's all right. Is that what it is? Is is he unsure of himself in some way? Does he call on us, invite us to give our finances because he's broke? No. No. God is complete and perfect in himself. He needs nothing. Psalm 24.1 in the NIV says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50 verses 10 to 12, for every beast, this is God speaking, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. God has everything. He doesn't have the needs that we have. He might not need it, but we do. Many parts of the Old Testament law were made void by Jesus' work on the cross. But the natural condition of the human heart remains the same. And God calls us to give of our finances to keep our hearts free from idolatry and counting on him in faith. Guys, understand this. God is not trying to raise money. God is trying to raise children. Do you remember the the hard word that Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler? It's a very well-known story from the gospels. A young man came to Jesus, had been following God. He came to Jesus and said, teacher, What must I do to inherit the kingdom? How do I have everlasting life? And you remember how Jesus responded to him? He's like, okay, well, you know the commandments. You need to honor these commandments. You need to keep these commandments. You need to obey what God has has spoken. And the young man is like, great, I've been doing that. Since I was a little kid, I've been doing that. And and the, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him with compassion. And he looked at the young man and he said, there's one thing that you lack. And what you need to do is you need to go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, then come and follow me and you will have eternal life. And the way that story unfolds, if you remember is, it says that the man just went away sorrowful because he had many possessions, he was rich. Why did Jesus tell that to that particular man? Because money had a hold of his heart. And Jesus saw through to the heart and said, this is the thing that you lack. Now, is Jesus telling all of us, you all need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor? No, that's not what he's saying. It was, it was, it was descriptive for him 
prescriptive for him. It's, it's descriptive for us. It's about the way that money can get its, its, its hold on us and it can control us. It was controlling him. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, it says this, as for the rich in this present age, and by the way, all of us living where we do, when we do, are rich in the grand scheme of things, guys. As for the rich of the present age, charge them, command them. This is actually a pretty heavy word here. Not to be haughty, that's arrogant, and not to, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He's talking about money here. Not on riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There are few things that can capture our hearts as human beings like money. It's a big one. We know it's a big one. But Jesus has to be Lord of all, everything in our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As he goes on in verse 24 there, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Are you getting this? Are you understanding this? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Psalm 62.10 says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So giving is a heart issue. And remember from the very beginning of this series on practices, what I said about spiritual practices is the reason we have them is because spiritual practices, when we practice them, they change us and we need to change. We don't get saved just so we end up in heaven. As when we get saved, we receive the gospel. Jesus says, I'm gonna change who you are as people down to the deepest level of the core of who you are. And what I'm telling you as people, as a person is, money often gets a hold of our hearts and it becomes the main thing in us. And that has to change. God wants to change that in every person, okay? It's, it's a, and the way to break money's natural hold is by giving it, by giving it away. Isn't everything that we have given to us by God anyhow? I think that's how we view it as Christians when we really step back and, you know, philosophical thing. We're like, well, yeah. I mean, every day that we wake up and can breathe, it's because God's given us another day of life. When we look at the resources of the world and the way that he's blessed us with this beautiful planet and everything that's in it, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. So even when we talk about our money, isn't our money really God's anyway? He gave it all to us. We are God's money managers, 
We're stewards, not owners. And, and so that's, that's one of the first mind shifts that has to happen is because a lot of people just think, well, it's my money. Why is God trying to take my money? He gave you that money. That's, that's how it works. We're, we're stewards. And I think he has told us pretty clearly a way to do that. All right, and that's where the tithe came into being. I think he's told us pretty clearly what we do with the first 10% of what comes in. It's a practical way to check our hearts and to grow in obedience. And that's why I think that tithing is still relevant for Christians today. Aaron and I tithe. We were raised in families. We were like my, my dad, right? He learned that somewhere. I've learned that. Aaron learned that growing up. We've always tithed. So for us, it's not a big step because we've always done it. So it's been ingrained in the way that we live. I do understand that for many of you, when you hear this the first time, you're like, whoa, mind's blown. How on earth would anybody do that? Are you telling me that you live on 90% and 10%? Yes, yes, that's what I'm telling you. That's, That's the way it goes. That's the way we do it. And the action of giving And being willing to do that cultivates generosity in us. Think of this. Say I I come up to you and I say, hey, I had a really good year. Here's a million bucks. I want you to have it. Just a gift. Do whatever you want with it. Hope you enjoy it. Right? And you take that money, you're like, sweet. I can pay rent for three months. You know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, You get your million bucks. You've got it. But the next day I call up and say, oh, hey, can I, can I get a loan of a hundred grand? Now you might immediately like, who do you think you are coming up to me asking for that kind of money? Are you crazy? You might, you might think that. Or you might think, are you kidding? You just gave me a million yesterday. I mean, is this gonna happen every day? I don't know. But still it's like, sure, here, here you go. When we view our finances as something that God's the one who's given this to us anyway, And when he tells me, hey, it's going to grow something in you. It's going to affect your heart. It's going to change you from the inside. It's going to make sure that this doesn't become an idol, something that you hold on to. Simply by giving some of this back, do I freak out and melt down about it? How dare you, God, asking for 10%? No, because it's it's part of the way that we're, we're called to grow. We're called to be generous people. Generosity is actually in that list of the fruit of the Spirit being trans, our lives being transformed by it. So giving as worship creates in us not only a heart of obedience, but also a heart of love. If tithes are the requirement, offerings are the opportunity. That's the, the, the part that's above and beyond. And giving shouldn't be seen only as an obligation. That's not what I want you to see out of this. I'm not trying to make some legalistic thing where this is the rule. You better all follow it. That's not what it's supposed to, how it's supposed to be. It's meant to be seen as an opportunity, an opportunity to bless other people, to bless people in need, to share with others that have less than we do. God has blessed us that we can bless others. We're given the opportunity to invest in people and in things that can have eternal impact honoring and glorifying God in the process. And we all know that we will be held accountable at the end of all time by God for what we do with the earthly resources that we've been given on this earth. Just like every word that you have spoken 
is going to be held accountable to God, every nickel that you spent is going to be accountable to the Lord. So here's, here's a couple questions then as they, they, they come up. Why then do we resist something like that? Why wouldn't I tithe as a person? And there's legitimate reasons. I'm going to talk to about two of them here today. Here's the two, I think the two biggest reasons that, that people don't want to tithe or don't want to give. The first is fear. Fear. I think fear is the number one reason that people are afraid to give any money away, whether it's to the church or to a charitable contribution or whatever it is, it's fear. Because money gives us a sense of security. It's true. If we've got enough money in the bank to take care of an emergency expense that comes up, or if we know that we've got our insurance premium up to date so that if we break a leg, we can go to the doctor, you know, there's money, money is tied to our security. And Jesus knows that. In fact, one of his uh, famous teachings on money and and to not worry about it, the, the phrase that he uses is, he says, fear not little flock. I understand that you're going to be worried about these things. I understand that you're worried about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. I understand, but fear not. Think about it right now where we're at. We see inflation climb as our retirement accounts shrink. We recognize the out-of-control housing market and, and rents at crazy rates. But Jesus tells us to banish the fear and replace it with faith. And worship is often an act of faith. It's hope in what we are yet to see. Whether that's lifting our voice in praise when we're grieving, or whether that's giving that financial amount when we aren't sure of our financial future. It can be scary. It's true. But Jesus says, trust in the Lord and seek first the kingdom of heaven and these other things will be added to you. Because despite what we're told, we can't take it with us, right? So the second thing, so the first one is fear. That's why we don't want to give. But the second one is is different, but it's greed. Now, I know that nobody wants to think of themselves as greedy, right? I mean, when you talk about like the list of kind of low-level bad personality traits, greed's got to be down there at the bottom, right? A greedy person is just, you kind of like, the, the scum. You're the, but greed is different, different than fear. Because it, greed isn't usually rooted in survival. That's the thing about the fear part. It's just, can I survive? Can I make it? Can I, you know, live? Greed is based on power and prestige. It comes from a desire to have more than everyone else and an urge to be recognized and admired for what we have. That's what makes us greedy. It's what feeds the luxury markets and the status symbol things. Do you need that new whatever it is? Probably not. But if you got that, oh, people will see I've arrived, I've made it. People will will stand up and take notice. Generosity, on the other hand, counters that desire. It fights the greed that will spring up in all of our hearts, guys. It's this ability to give things away instead of always wanting to take, take, take and hoard up and hold more. We have a very very, uh, 
graphic example of that in Scripture in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 4. The church is, is barely begun, and in Acts chapter 4, there's a man named Barnabas who sells a piece of land, and he takes the, the money from the sale of that land, and he comes and brings it to the apostles for the church. He, he makes a large contribution, a large offering, all right? He sold property, gave it to them. And, the, and he says, take it and use it for the ministry in whatever way that the ministry needs to use it. I want to take care of people. And, and a lot of people around stood up and took notice. They're like, whoa, that was a really generous gift. And right there, at the, that's the end of chapter four. And then right when chapter five starts, there's another couple that's part of the church named Ananias and Sapphira. So now if you recognize that name, you're like, okay, I know where the story's going. Ananias and Sapphira see that. The Barnabas has done that. They're like, that's awesome. I mean, look at that guy. He's so generous. He gave all this money. People are looking at him like, that guy's a saint. This is amazing. They're like, we want that for ourselves. We want people to recognize us as being these benevolent givers. And we've got a piece of land we need to sell, so let's sell it. So they go and sell the land. But between the two of them, they have this conversation that says, now, we don't have to tell them exactly what we sold it for. So let's keep some of it back and, and let's just give the rest to it uh, of, of the, the proceeds to the church. But let's tell everybody that we gave it all, just like Barnabas. Right? Now, here's the thing. That piece of property was theirs. They could do whatever they want with it. Nobody made them give that. The church didn't demand that they sell off that property. God did not tell them, you must sell that property and give every penny to the church. Didn't say anything like that. But the greed in their heart was, ah, we, we don't want to let it all go, but we just want the, the prestige. We want the recognition. And if you know the way that story goes, they then bring that portion and say it's everything and they're punished by God for their greed. Thankfully, God doesn't still do that to non-tithers, right? That's not what's going on. It was an example, but, but they died. Ananias and Sapphira died in that whole, that whole exchange. It's very difficult. But we're not called as the people of God to be greedy. We're called to be generous. That's the opposite. So we want to move from fear and greed to faith and generosity. All right, that's the transition that, that God is calling us toward, from fear and greed to faith and generosity. So how then do we exercise this practice of worship through giving? How are we supposed to give of our finances? Here's the way I do it. And this is my suggestion to you. The way I do it, is 10% of tithe right off of the top immediately. That's how I do it. And then look for opportunities to give offerings generously in other ways. Here's another couple of tips for that. It's always important, what I've found, is it's important to give the tithe first, okay? Uh, this goes back to that Exodus verse where he, God had to tell them, don't delay, don't wait. If you get paid at the first of the month, it's better to pay your tithe at the first of the month. If you wait to the end of the month, guess what? It won't be there. <laughs> That's just how it works. But it's amazing how when you do tithe at the beginning, by the end, there's something still there. It's, it's, it can be shocking, but it is, it's the way it is. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits." What's the first fruits? It was the first things that came into whatever they had, their income, the first. 
of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I do know this, and this is the way it is with any spiritual practice. Practices can become really mindless rituals. And this is the one other thing that I wanted to mention to you guys. Um, I like auto pay for our bills, our personal finances. I love it. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have to every month go back again and, you know, click this and send that and mail this check and do all that. I would much rather, if possible, and I do this with most of our bills, is just auto pay, auto pay, auto pay. For tithes, I don't do it that way. I, and this is personal. This is a personal thing. I prefer to figure it out each month. And part of that is because it, 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 it changes. But I figure it out each month, each month. I thank the Lord for it. It's an opportunity to say, thank you, God, for providing for us again. And then I make that automated check in my case, and I send it, send the automated check. It, every month, it's another opportunity for worship. It's an opportunity for me to say, thank you, Lord, for this. And I want to send this on toward you. Um, but I will say this, for some of you, you're like, oh boy, don't tell me that. Because if it's not auto pay, it's not going to get paid. And for you, yeah, don't do it that way. It's probably not the way for you to do it. But that's one, one way to do it in, in that act of worship. Other people like to write a physical check and mail it out or put it in the giving box that we have here in the back. And that's how they, they share and give their offering. But it's, it's meant to be this act of worship. We worship through giving. And let me say this too. I'm not giving this message today. You you probably should already know this. I'm not giving this message today because you guys don't give. We're not even going to take a special offering at the end of the service. All right, that's not what's going on. Most of you, I am preaching to the choir, as they say, right? Most of you, many of you faithfully give to our church. I'll tell you this. There has never been a month in the life of our church that we have not been able to pay our bills. Now, there have been some months where the bills are higher than what came in for that month, but overall, it's, it's worked out, okay? So there's never been a month that we haven't been able to pay the bills of our church. Right now, there are 20 households, 20, two zero, that regularly give to South Point. I asked. Gary, who heads our finances, told me that, all right? 20. I don't know who gives what, except for the few of you who have actually told me, this is how much I give. So there's a few of you that I know, but I don't know. I don't know who gives what. But several of those households too, not only give a full tithe as a minimum, but even offerings beyond that. All right, so I know that when we talk about this, you're like, that's like, there can't be people to do it. Yes, there are. You sit next to them in church, (laughs) all right? It is possible. And I believe that God will bless your faithfulness in it. God will not be outgiven. God is the ultimate giver. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 12, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So as we finish here and we wrap up, how do you respond to a message like this? And by the way, I don't plan to give another message like this for another five years. Um, if we come across something in the, pa- in the passage that refers to it, we'll address it. But hopefully I can just refer people back to this and say, if you're curious about tithing in the Bible, where's it at? Does it exist? Here, go back and listen to that. But how do, how do we want to respond in, a, in a, a moment like this? I want to first challenge you to just look at your heart Look at your heart in regards to your finances. Giving is a heart issue. And look at your heart honestly and ask yourself the question, does money have a grip on me? And and here's one of the indicators. When you start hearing a message like this, immediately there may be something in you that's like, don't talk about money. I don't want to deal with that right now. There may be a little stress point in your life. You're like, oh no, not the money thing. This was the one hour of my week where I don't think about money. You know, I, I don't know. There may be some different things that, that give you a, an indication that there's something in your heart about it. But ask yourself, does money have a grip on me? Or am I free in regards to it? And if the answer is yes, like I'm free. God's made me free. Wonderful. Rejoice. Continue to give generously. And then secondly, though, here's the one other thing that you have to do, because sometimes we lie to ourselves, <laughs> is look at your bank account. That's, that's the other thing. See if it truly lines up with your heart. If you say, oh yeah, I'm generous, I give. All right, take a look and ask yourself, am I really tithing? Am I living generously and stewarding God's money well? And if not, make some changes. That's all. We constantly look for the next step that God's calling us to. And whatever he may be calling us to, that's what you wanna do. And my heart is just that we would be a church that is abundantly overflowing with worship through giving. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And God, I am thankful for people that still have a stomach for your word. People that will listen to your word, even when it is countercultural and counterintuitive. And uh, God, we want to be generous people. We want to be people that are completely free. And that also includes free in in our finances. And so Lord, I pray that if you are speaking to anyone here today and and you're wanting to speak to them specifically in this area, if you wanna teach them to worship you through giving, Lord, I pray that that you and and they would have the, the deep heart conversation necessary to allow that transformation to take place. And so God, we just, we offer ourselves to you. We offer everything that we have to you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us be healthy and mature and understand what it is that we are to do and who we are to be before you. And Lord, I am not here to lay a burden on any of my brothers or sisters. I am here to simply point them to you. And God, you speak to them you direct them, you guide them in whatever way that you're guiding them. And I pray, Lord, 
that we would all have ears to hear the things that you want to say. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful giving that you have blessed us with as a church that allows us to function. I pray, God, that you would, just as you said in your word, continue to bless them to overflowing. Lord, we pray that you would always do what you have done so far, Lord, which is be faithful and provide for the things that we need and even beyond that. May we as a church be good stewards of the the finances that have come into this church, Lord. May the money that, that is here gathered together by this church be used for your kingdom and for your work and for the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that as in all things, Lord, that we would walk freely and faithfully, full of joy, that we would be cheerful givers, generous, generously offering ourselves and offering the things that we have to the world around us, bringing light into the dark places. We thank you, we love you, and we praise your name, Jesus. Amen.